have all of you tuning in, watching us today. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at Liberty Church. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to find the book of 1 Thessalonians, or you can use an app on your phone or search for it on Google and you will find the verses there, I'm sure. Uh, every week here, our habit is to teach through a part of the Bible. And we do that because we believe this is the most important book ever written. But it's not just a historical artifact, a piece of history, but it's something that is as relevant today as when it was first written. And it's a book that speaks to us life, hope and joy, um, mainly because it doesn't just, it's not a book that just gives us lots of rules for living. It's not like a how-to for life, but it's a book that tells us about God and who he is and what his plans are for his people, his wonderful salvation plans and his plans for us to bless and serve the world that we live in. And the book of 1 Thessalonians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to uh, a very small, uh, newly started church in a city called Thessalonica, which was in Macedonia, now in what we know as Greece today, a church that was probably just a few years old. And it gives them some, some advice, some tips, some suggestions on how to, as a community together, how to live out the Christian faith. Uh, and as we go through this week by week, we'll be looking at that. And today we're going to be looking at the subject of what it means to be a Christ-like community, a community like Jesus. So Ashwin is going to read to us the passage today uh, on video in a moment. So this is from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 5, or the second half of verse 5, through to verse 8. Over to Ashwin. 6 to 8. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. Thank you so much, Ashwin. Him sitting behind the desk there looked as though he was just about to read the news to us or bring us a weather forecast. So tune in next week and we'll see if Ashwin can tell us what the weather's going to be like. Okay, if you have 1 Thessalonians, hopefully that served you today. I remember when I was 15 years old, or maybe 16, around that age, that for some reason I decided I wanted to be a plane engineer. And I went to, I filled in some some application forms, I went to a couple of interviews to become a, uh, I don't really know what plane engineers do, but people that kind of fix planes, I guess, and keep them from falling out the sky. And for some reason, as a 15-year-old, I thought that was what my life was going to be. Um, and then going and doing these interviews, and I had to do lots of tests and things, I realized that although, you know, planes are cool, I don't really know anything about them. And when it comes to engineering, my skills were very limited. Um, and I quickly realized that wasn't going to be the career path for me. And I don't, at the time, I didn't really know why I was interested. I think I'd seen a, an advert and I thought planes were pretty awesome, so I went along. But I think that in reality, 
what probably was shaping me and making me think that perhaps that was what I should do was that, well, my mum was a nurse. I definitely didn't want to work in a hospital. And my dad was an engineer. So whether deliberately or not, I was, I was shaped by, by my dad being an engineer. And I'm, in some subconscious way, I thought, oh, maybe I should be an engineer too. Um, I quickly discovered that that wasn't going to be the path for me. But so often in life, we, we think that we're making our own decisions, our own plans, that we're living life according to our own trajectory. But all the time we're being influenced by other people. We're being shaped by what other people believe, what other people say. The example of other people's lives is so powerful to us. Sometimes we're aware of it. We're aware of people that have shaped us, who've influenced us, like parents or uh, our, our dear friends who shaped our lives. And other times it just happens much more naturally. We're not aware of it. I'm sure you could probably take a moment now and think of who are the people, perhaps in the past in your life, perhaps people even now, who have influenced you, who have shaped you. And we're not just influenced by people, but the culture that we live in all the time is shaping us. Every time we go on to social media, we, there's a view of the world that is put to us, a way of thinking, a way of reading life that we pick up implicitly. It's sort of, we kind of marinate in this whole way of thinking and it shapes us. In many ways, you just sitting listening to me for 20 or 30 minutes, you might think that's the only time that you get preached to, but we're being preached to all the time. Whether it's advertising, people's opinions, what we read in the newspaper or watch on Netflix, or we read on Instagram or Facebook, all the time we're being bombarded with messages, opinions, people's lives that are examples to us that influence us, that shape us. And that's what we're reading about in this passage, that the church in Thessalonica, these new believers, these very first followers of Jesus Christ, that they'd become imitators of Paul and his friends and because of what they were imitating of God also, they'd become imitators, they'd follow their example but then it goes on to say that they also themselves, this brand new church, they became an example themselves. And that's so often what happens in, in Christian living, in Christian discipleship, that we learn what it is to follow Jesus uh, from, yes, from what we read about in the Bible or what we might hear spoken to us on a Sunday or in our community groups in the week but so much of how we learn how to follow Jesus is what we see our friends doing, what we see the people around us doing, what we see people who you would consider perhaps slightly older in the faith, more mature Jesus followers. We look at their lives and that influences us. But then we also become imitators to others also. That's a question you might want to consider as well, not just who is influencing you, but who are you influencing we're all leaders. It's not just, the church isn't just about one or two pastors and a big flock of people, but we're all leaders. We, we all have a, 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 
we all need to lead ourselves. Uh, that will probably be the biggest leadership challenge that we all face is leading ourselves. But all of us get to lead people around us. All of us get to be examples, imitations, influences to people around us all the time. And in a world where people are bombarded uh, to the point of confusion often with so many different messages and ideas and ways that they're supposed to think, actually having some faithful believers, faithful followers of Jesus to learn from is such a powerful force. And when you consider perhaps who you're influencing, don't just think about who you, you might be being an example to in the church family, but around you in the city as well. All of us have an opportunity where we live, the neighborhoods we live, with our family, with our friends, the people we see every day. We have an example, uh, an opportunity to be an example to people. See, because the church, the people of God, is supposed to be an, an upstream movement. By that I mean when you, well, if you pollute a river at its source, if you find where the original source of that river is, you know, a spring coming out of the ground or water flowing off a mountain, if you pollute the river there, it will affect everything downstream and that water will become unsafe. And that's what the church gets to be. Perhaps more positively, rather than being a pollutant, we get to be a filter. We get to be a blessing. And what we do upstream will affect. That's what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to affect everything around it. And all churches are supposed to be like that. They're supposed to be upstream. But for us, for Liberty Church here in Amsterdam, we have a particular opportunity because what happens here in the capital of our nation will affect not just the city, but everybody that looks to this city. All the tourists that normally would be flocking here, 15 million tourists every year coming to our city. All the people from all around our nation who will travel here, who will read news and media that's produced here that their lives are influenced and shaped so much by what happens in this city. If we want to see a move of God in our nation, then we want to pray that it starts here, that upstream here in this city, that it can affect everything, everything around it. That's what happened in Thessalonica. It was a strategic city for the whole of Macedonia. And that's what happens here, that the church in Thessalonica becomes an example, not just for their city, but everywhere around them, for Macedonia, for Acacia, it goes on to say that their faith in God has gone forth everywhere, that they got to affect the, the climate of the world around them. They got to be an example that had such a powerful, a powerful impact. And that happened through the word of the Lord sounding forth from them, that they we're able to speak out the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, we have an opportunity in this season. We've been talking about it a lot recently that whereas normally it might be quite difficult to come to church for the first time, to walk into the doors of an old building like this, into a room full of people you don't know, might be quite daunting. Whereas now it's, it's pretty easy to click on a link, find yourself on YouTube. So invite your friends, invite people you know. 
invite them to come and meet Jesus through what we do here every week. We have an opportunity for the word of the Lord to sound forth from us out into the city. But what seems to be the main thing here that really influences and shapes them and their message goes out from Thessalonica to the whole of the world around them is their faith. Their faith. It says your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. There's a tremendous, tremendous power in the transformed lives of a community of faith. There's a tremendous power in a whole family of Jesus followers going out into the city and living differently from the world around them, being a, an alternative city within the city. We get to be an Amsterdam 2.0, a, a different version, a better version of what the city could be when it knows Jesus Christ. We get to love and serve our city. And that's ultimately what will change our city a whole community of people who live a, a life that is just attractive to the world around them because we have a, a peace, we have a hope, we have a joy that comes only from Jesus. We get to be a light to our city. And that's so much more than what we do here on this video, more than preaching what we do on a Sundays. It's about the kingdom living, living out the gospel living out the message of Jesus Christ, living lives of worship to him in every sphere of life, in your job, your workplace, in your neighborhood, just living differently from everybody else will cause people to ask questions, will cause people to go, what's different about that person? What is it about their life? Because to see our city changed, we don't need like an army of missionaries to fly in from somewhere else. What we need is the church of Jesus, and not just us, but churches right across this city to stand up, to follow him. And through how we live our lives, that our faith in God would go forth out into our city. That's our prayer. That's what we want to see happen in Liberty Church. It's just not one or two pioneers, but a whole army of followers of Jesus going out and loving our city. And there's something wonderfully attractive and powerful when that happens. And the same God that was behind all of it, the same Holy Spirit behind the scenes in Thessalonica, empowering that church to reach their city and the world around them, is the same Holy Spirit who's at work through us, his new community today but perhaps the main way we get to live that out perhaps the main way we get to be different from the world around us to live as an alternative city is actually how the church responds to affliction how the church responds to to suffering because for the church in Thessalonica their Imitation of God was, it was radical. And it was a result of their radical conversion. You can read about the story in Acts chapter 17. That the apostle Paul and Silas, they go and preach in the synagogue. Both Jews and Gentiles become followers of Jesus. And then this, this mob grabs some of them, drags them before the city authorities. 
And their accusation against them is that they serve another king, Jesus. And that's what happens is when you pledge allegiance in your heart to a new king, everything changes. Everything changes for you. A new worldview is birthed in your heart. A new way of seeing life. A new king that we want to live for, that we want to live lives of worship for. And when that radical faith is birthed in your heart, with that, as we see in Thessalonica, and as we'll see in our lives, often affliction, challenge, suffering even will come. And in in this first century context, 2,000 years ago, life wasn't quite as rosy and easy as we'd find it today. They didn't really have any healthcare system. There was no unemployment benefits or anything like that. Even their system of education was probably pretty limited. You know, for the vast majority of people, life would have been hard, painful and difficult. But actually, the affliction that Paul's talking about there isn't to do with that. The affliction he talks about is what happens when you say, I'm going to worship another king, Jesus. When you put your trust in him, and everyone else in the world around you is living differently and you say, I'm going to go this way instead, that brings challenges. What would have happened in their context is they would have suffered almost like a a social dislocation. That for many of them, their family probably would have abandoned them. Their friends would have abandoned them. And that's still true in some parts of the world today. In some places, if you said, I'm going to follow Jesus, your family would throw you out. They'd never be able to speak to you, probably never be able to see you again. And yet, in some cases, that's true also in our city. That to say you're going to follow Jesus means all of a sudden that your friends and family, they might not really be able to understand you anymore. They might have questions about the decision you've made. Really? You want to, you want to believe in that? that ancient, bizarre belief, you want to trust in that? And a kind of a social dislocation takes place. And for them in this first century context, it probably would have meant that their, the opinion of them in society would have changed, would have diminished. That they might have even, some of them would have lost their jobs, definitely had their job security threatened. Some of them might have even had challenges even to their life itself and that's often what happens when you put your trust in Jesus you say I'm going to live differently from the world around me I'm going to pledge allegiance to another king I'm going to have another lord and master of my life that will have knock-on effects for you and an important question for us to ask when we look at this passage is we get a little window of how the church in Thessalonica responded to affliction and suffering and pain. But how do we respond? And the first way often we see people responding is that when affliction comes, we normally do one of two things. We either withdraw or we try and control. So rather than receiving the affliction, we can often withdraw away. We can try and avoid suffering, avoid pain, 
because we want to find comfort instead. We might binge ourselves on Netflix. We might go into a sort of self-imposed lockdown, a self-imposed quarantine. We can even despise affliction. We see pain and affliction as a bad, negative thing. Yet the reality is to even desire a life without affliction, desire a life without pain, that in itself is an affliction. Because that's an impossible dream. When you set your hope on that desire, that life is just going to be rosy and sunny and beautiful, everything's going to be fine forever, you set yourself up to fail. Because we live in a world where things are painful, where suffering does come to all of us at different times in different ways. We have to be careful not to withdraw or to control. That's the other way we respond. We try and manage the situation. We try and mitigate against the risks. We bring comfort, becomes a tool that we use to navigate through the tricky situation. We see these two things play out in, for instance, how we've responded to this corona, COVID crisis around us. Some people just want to withdraw and hide away. They just want to pretend that everything's fine. They don't want to listen to what's happening on the news. They just want to blank everything out and just kind of grit their teeth and just get through it and hope that sooner or later life will return to normal. Or we try and control it, which is ridiculous if you think about it. You, you can't control a global pandemic. <laughs> None of us can. But we do. We, we, we take in as much information as we can. We're constantly reading about when the, the vaccine is going to be ready, trying to plan how we're going to navigate our way through this. And neither of those strategies will work. Withdrawing away and hiding, putting your head into the sand, or trying to control the situation, that's not the way through. And we get an example here of how to find the way through, of how we should respond to affliction. And one of the first ways is to, to embrace it. In Hebrews 12, it says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Actually, to go through affliction is often actually it's a gift from God. It's, as it talks about here in Hebrews, and it goes on to say in the next few verses, it's actually evidence that we're his children, that he disciplines the one whom he loves. And that might seem like a bit harsh to you. Why would God do that? But any good father or mother will be able to tell you that, that you, you have to do that with your kids. You can't just let them run wild, but you have to say, no, you, you can't do that. That's not the best for you. If you touch that, that will burn you. That will hurt you. You have to guide your children. And that's how God cares for us as he guides us he sometimes disciplines us sometimes even brings affliction and suffering into our lives to help us to trust in him instead it talks about in 2 Corinthians 1 that he does it for our comfort even that often he brings trouble and pain into our lives so we lean into him and find our comfort in him because the good news is, is that whatever you're walking through, whatever season of life you're in, even right now, he won't abandon you. 
that he's with you. He won't leave you or forsake you. He's come to be with you. He won't leave you. And actually, the, the only way you can stand through seasons of affliction and difficulty, pain and suffering, the only way you can stand through those and receive the benefit of them is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Without him, it will be hard and painful. But with him, you'll be able to stand firm and you'll be able to receive his blessing in those seasons. Often find for me a, a good tool when I'm finding I'm, I'm worrying about something, I'm stressed, I'm tired. It's just to come to Jesus and often come to Jesus and just worship him. I've even found that sometimes I'll come and pray and it almost just makes me more anxious because I end up just, I just keep saying my worries out loud over and over again. And often in those moments, I'll hear the Holy Spirit quietly whisper to me and say, just worship. <laughs> Don't just give God a list of your worries. Although that can be helpful. Prayer is obviously a wonderful blessing to us. But so often the, the appropriate way to come to God is just to come and worship him. To come and sing. To come and read a psalm, a piece of scripture that just lifts your heart, lifts your head. And he'll give you strength as you do that. And how does the Holy Spirit bring joy through affliction? Because that's what happens here, that they were able to stand firm, that they were able to walk through this season of affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. How does that work? Because it's not, this isn't like a weird Christian masochism that happens that, we must suffer so that we get, we get good things. No, but what happens is the Holy Spirit comes to us through those seasons and will bring us joy. In Psalm 45, it says, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness. It talks about in Galatians 5 that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And actually, often a good way to respond is to, we, to come to Jesus, to come and receive the Holy Spirit and there we'll find joy. If you want more joy in your life, then invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. Ask God to grow the fruit of, this, of the Spirit in your heart. And you might, an important question to ask is you, you might say, look, I don't feel happy and smiley all the time. You know, are Christians allowed to be sad? Are Christians allowed to be depressed? Are Christians allowed to fear and to, to worry? Because that might be true for you. You might have seasons of sadness. You might struggle with issues of mental health even. I don't want you to hear this morning that you just, you just need to be more happy and then you'll be fine. Because what this joy we're talking about here is it, it's not just a surface smiley thing, although for many people it will lead to that, but it goes much deeper into your heart. And in much affliction, the affliction that they were suffering here was 
severe affliction. That's the language the passage is using. With much affliction, we need deep joy. And what that joy is, is the Holy Spirit will come to you and he won't just make you happy. He'll come to you and he'll reveal the love of the Father to you. The Holy Spirit will come to you and reveal the grace that we find in Jesus Christ, the wonderful joy we have in our salvation. And ultimately what happens, the main way the Holy Spirit will bring joy in seasons of affliction and hardship is that he draws us into himself. Because even in seasons of depression, sadness or fear, grief and mourning, sickness, hardship of all different sorts. So often we want God just to come and rescue us. Just, just put me somewhere else. Just take me out of this situation and put me over here. But often what God does instead is he, he comes and he's, he's with you. That's the Jesus we believe in. Emmanuel, God with us. That in whatever season of life you're walking through right now, he's with you. Sometimes we don't feel like he's with us, but we must trust that he is. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's his promise to you. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in your heart. So he's with you right now. And you can come and you can ask for more of him. You can come and ask that he make that real to you, that he come and show you the love of Jesus. And that's our comfort. That's the joy that we find ultimately is knowing, oh, God's with me. I'm not doing this by myself. Actually, when I've reached the total end of myself, when I'm completely weak, when I've got nothing left, that's when I find strength because I lean into him. He leads me through. He helps me through. Perhaps the final question I want us to look at is, what about affliction and suffering? Which, Because most of the affliction and suffering I've talked about has been when we're in a situation that isn't of our own causing. But sometimes we're in seasons of difficulty because it's, it's actually our fault. It's the result of our sin, of mistakes we've made that we're walking through a season of pain because we've, been, we've done something that we know we shouldn't have. Maybe we're walking through a season where our conscience is just seared and it's just hurting. We're just struggling. We just can't see a way through because we know we feel like we've, we've failed. And what does God do then? How does he bring us joy then? Well, we... So often in life, we expect karma. We expect that I do good, so I receive good. I do bad, so I receive bad. But that's how, not how God works. With God, whatever we do, we receive grace. We do good, we receive his grace. We do bad, we fail. We receive his grace. Let me read this quote before we finish. And then I'm going to pray and hand over to the band. This is from a famous writer from a few hundred years ago called John Owen. He says this. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He willingly proceeds or comes forth from the Father to be our comforter, 
He knew what we were, what we could do, and what would be our dealings with him. He knew we would grieve him, provoke him, quench his emotions, defile his dwelling place, and yet he would come to be our comforter. God knew exactly what you were like. He knew what you would be like. He knew what you would become. He knew all the ways that you would fail and let him down. And yet he comes to us with his grace. And even in seasons where you're walking through a season of pain and it's completely your fault, he's completely with you. His grace is lavish and overwhelming for you today. Let me pray for us all. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, that you're a good God, that you love your children and you love to pour out your blessing upon your children, not dependent on our behavior, but completely dependent on your grace for us. And we want to bring ourselves again to you in whatever season we're walking through, whether it's a season of blessing and happiness or a season where we're feeling stretched and challenged, we confess that we need you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that even as we come now and we sing in worship, that you would come fill us again. You lift our hearts and heads, remind us that you're with us, you're near to us, and you're a God who does good to us. Amen.